night. We thank you that uh, you've allowed us to come together in this place midweek, right in the, in the fog of war. You've allowed us uh, this time to gather together. And Father, I want to thank you for these people who made this choice. Because Lord knows there are so many other things that they could be doing, and yet they're here. And they're here just to talk and to work on their relationship with each other and with you. That's kind of a phenomenal thing. And so, Father, we just ask that you would sanctify these next few moments that we can, if possible, just allow our minds to leave where we've come from and what we're going home to. And in just these few moments, let us focus on you, your word, and your spirit. And we just ask that you take this time and you impact us with this time. I just pray that we'll leave here different than we've been, better able than ever before uh, to serve you in our families, in our places of business, in our schools. Father, we ask that this time make a difference in Jesus' name. Amen. A uh, couple of things real quick. Um, I just wanted, how many of you so far, and yeah, if everyone could kind of come and sit in the center section, we would appreciate it. Um, how many of you have uh, taken the assessment so far? Uh, very good. Awesome. Very, very nice. Uh, this is an early report, so this is only reflecting about 13 couples. Uh, and again, just from the show of hands, there's quite a few more than that. Um, but I wanted to give you, the, so this will kind of be a halfway point, to let you know some of uh, the issues uh, that are the biggest ones in, in this group. Not only that, but they also give us a breakdown what are the top five issues for the men in this group, what are the top five issues uh, with the ladies. And again, we don't have your names on this, okay? So if you don't cringe, nobody knows, right? <laughs> Just be cool. Play it cool. Play it cool. And don't elbow anybody. Don't elbow anybody. Don't clear your throat. Actually, everybody just freeze. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, first off, there's a the the way they will categorize these couples is vitalized, which are all the couples that we all hate because they're just grossly nice to each other. And the thank you. That's the vitalized couples. And then there's harmonious. Those people are pretty much getting it done. And then there's conventional couples. Then there are conflicted. And then there are devitalized couples. Um, right now, uh, well, excuse me. When this report was done several days ago, um, there, were, there was one conventional and the others were divided up into conflicted and devitalized. Nobody was blissful, I guess is what we're saying. Which is why you're so likable, all of you. Yeah. <laughs> because you were, you're just gushy and... But all that tells me is, ah, first off, you're honest. Thank you. And we're all in this together. Did y'all come in here thinking, boy, our marriage sucks. We better go get it worked on. Everyone's in the same boat. Everyone's working on it, and that you're here, and, and you're taking time to come. And again, a special thank you to you Y chromosomes in the room, because I know many of you would rather be gargling glass than be in a room talking about feelings and, and your marital relationship. Uh, so I get that, and so thank you guys for being here. Um, I'll, I'll just throw this out. Anyone want to take a guess? at what the number one issue is. Money. Money. Communication. Sex. Money. And if you're paying for sex, that's not good. <laughs> that whole Ashley Madison thing going on. You know, actually, I had a couple once, and they came in, and, I, and we got to the part of the assessment, and we were talking about their sexual relationship. Should I apologize ahead of time for what yes. you're about to say? Sorry. And so I had to ask them something, you know, to rate their, their sexual relationship. On a scale of one to five, five, really a huge problem. One, not at all. And, um, See, that seems backwards to me. I know. Just your scale. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Continue. 
and yet it's my scale. It is. And so then I then I said, so so they said that it was like a one. I was going, wow, wow, wow. Don't get a lot of ones on sex, except for this almost seventy-year-old couple that both said that it was ones. Oh, really? I said, so what's your frequency of intercourse? And they said, I don't know. What do you think? At least like once a day. Can we have them? Okay, okay. excuse me. Because <laughs> if you could sit over in my chair, I've got a couple of questions <laughs> that I would really love your input on. But this this other couple, they said they said it was like a one. I said, well, what's your frequency? And she said, well, just about any time he wants it. I went, really? And she said, yeah, we have a system. And they kind of looked at each other and kind of grinned, and I said. I'm dying here. Uh, what's that system? And she says, anytime he wants sex, I give him sex, he gives me $500. Yeah, guys, that became a not-too-good system right there, didn't it? You were thinking you were going to hear some golden words of wisdom. Uh, yeah. You want to talk, because we always talk about how sex never needs to become a commodity. Good Lord. Was it a commodity in that house? Uh, the number one issue in here, uh, as in 100% of these couples uh, rated it as one of their biggest issues, was conflict resolution. 100% of this group, and again, there's, this is probably half or less than half. Um, number two coming in at 92% was um, communication. And since these couples really struggled with communication and conflict resolution, also tied for second place at 92% was sex. Because sex tends to not be a problem if you communicate well and you can resolve conflict well. And you have $500. <laughs> if, you, if you have a really fat bank account, it's also not a big deal. Uh, real quickly, these are uh, some of the top issues I'll give you the top five ladies' issues and the top five men's issues. Uh, top five male issues. Uh, satisfaction with how, how you talk with each other. Uh, balancing leisure time with time spent together and apart. Bringing differences to a point of resolution. Whether or not you have disputes over trivial issues. These are the top five men's issues. I've just read four. What was not in it? Yeah? Okay, number five was sex. <laughs> Having similar levels of interest in sex. The top five issues for the females in this sample. Bringing differences to a point of re uh, resolution. Willingness to share feelings. Your time and energy for recreation. Balancing leisure time spent together and apart. And the amount of affection expressed. Those were the five. Uh, what I thought was interesting in this sample anyway is that the females in this sample uh, rated their sex lives worse than the guys did. Interesting. Not going to make a comment on that until we have sex week. Um, but I just think that's interesting. The thing that we also found that was really great is that the little three question uh, questionnaires that we did last week actually really matched up yeah. what we were seeing in the assessment, which gave us a lot of confidence that what we're seeing both places really were getting down to the core of what y'all want to talk about, what the real issues are, where things really lie for this group in this time and this place in the marriages that are represented here. So we really appreciate how vulnerable you were, both in the assessment and what you had to say on these questionnaires. We were fascinated by some of the statements, some of the questions. Things were brought up that we hadn't thought about that we're going to circle in and, and um, make part of the discussion over the next few weeks as well. But for tonight, drum roll, what are we talking about, Vanna? We're going to talk about uh, two of the things that everyone really kind of did the best on, and that was leisure activities and uh, family and friends. But one thing real quick, we're going to talk about communication soon. And you need to begin using this assessment that you did as a tool in your communication with each other. Because it, it, it's not like, okay, you know, we did this thing, uh, we had to do it, and so we went in and we did it, uh, now we're done. 
because we did it. Well, no, actually you do it so that you can talk about it. It's not that you just did it. The point is, by doing it, then you have an opportunity to discuss. And here's the thing. Toyota. When they first came to the United States and they were talking about how they made cars, it was such a contrast between how they did it and how the old time Detroit did it. Where, you know, it was really, you know, union controlled and if anyone spoke out of line, you know, they could get fired or slapped around or whatever, sleep with the fishes. And so, and then there was Toyota. And then it was not a top-down run company, it was a bottom-up run company. And so the guys on the line, the people that were just putting the sprockets on the wheels, every at the end of every week, they would go in and they felt as though they had failed in their jobs if they didn't find some mistake that they had done. Their job was to find a mistake, to get it better. You never arrive. It's like our spiritual lives. The closer you get to God, the further away from God you realize you are. You know, you never arrive spiritually. I bet the Pope cusses all the time. Uh, if he was a fan of the Longhorns, he would cuss all the time. And you know that. So no one ever arrives spiritually, but we're shooting to get better. We always want to be better. And that's the way we are in our marriages. We never want to just say, well, if you have a problem with something that's going on, what's wrong with you? Why are you saying that about me? Well, how about you? What you do? Don't be offended by it. We should be wanting to get better. And we should always be wanting to get better. And this is such a great tool. Have y'all have y'all all looked at your results? <laughs> okay. Some of you haven't. Uh, it'd be a really good thing to look at your results. Um, some of you might have been surprised at some of your partner's responses. I forget who it was. Last week they ran up here and they said, you've got to tell them that they get the results immediately. They don't know that. You've got to tell them that. <laughs> because I got in huge trouble. If you were, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but probably several of you were, were, re, were surprised at some of the answers that your spouse gave. That's fantastic. Because that was an area that you probably didn't know, or at least didn't know the severity of how they felt about it. So that's a good thing. Jesus loves the light and Satan loves the dark. So when we can do something like this, and it just turns a floodlight onto these little recesses of our relationship, that's a very, very good thing. So as we move forward, don't be upset that your, that your spouse has these feelings. You need to know that they have these feelings so that we can then deal with it. Because you cannot fix a problem what? that you will not admit that you have. So this is, this is a fantastic starting point. I think what you bring up is, is really critical. As I was looking through these surveys, and certainly at many seasons, might have one tomorrow, I don't know, where I feel like... It's about taking a marriage class or reading a marriage book or taking an assessment is proving to my spouse all the things I've been saying. Preaching, mm -hmm. sister. And how powerful it would be to shift that and say, what do I need to be working on? What, what, do, what are the things that this person that I say I love, what are the needs that they have that I can better meet? Because it's fascinating to me that marriage is designed to be one of the most selfless relationships we have, and yet with many of the people that I end up talking with or that Mike talks with or that Jimmy talks with, you know, I often find that it's one of the most selfish relationships. And I think culture has creeped into a level where we think our needs are to be fulfilled by this other person, and we've lost that piece about being available to be the person who's trying to meet and love someone right where they are. And so when you look at that assessment, when you think about what you put on this, there's no judgment here if you started out saying, I need to prove to my wife, or I need to show my husband that I'm not crazy for wanting this out or the other, or I need to prove to that spouse that this is what they're doing and this is how it makes me feel. That's fine. That's a vulnerable, good thing to state. 
But if we can shift the way we're going to take these tools and apply them to how do I get better for me, instead of it being a proof text, a legal text, a place where we feel like we can dig in and make our point, then we'll be able to deal with the tools a lot more effectively. I mean, literally put a toolbox up because it's really important to me that people feel like they've walked out of here with tools every single week that they can absolutely apply. But if we hand you a hammer and we say, go nail the nail, and you hit your spouse in the head with it, we haven't given you a tool that you're able to use in the way it was designed to strengthen. And so I would really hope all of us, myself included, can begin to look at these evaluations, begin to look at these results, and use them as a platform for saying, just like you were saying, where can I do even better within what I'm doing? Where can I do? Where can I do? Where can I do? Y'all know Love and Respect, right, Eggridge? Most of you are familiar with that book. That's one of the books that I always want to give couples, because I just think it's a classic, along with the five love languages, you know, that's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 13 years. And missed my top two love languages, by the way. And so Eggrich is going to be around for 30 years, too. It's okay. It's food and laughter, but keep talking. <laughs> I love it when I'll hand this book out, and I'll say, go read it. And they come back going, oh, this is fantastic. And I say, really? So, yeah, I just, I just highlighted all over it. It's just every page is just highlighted, highlighted. And so people ask them, well, what'd you highlight? I'll say, well, he does this, and he does this, and he does this. And, and of course, he's sitting there going, yeah, me too. She does this, and she does this. Is it, it, if, if your idea, especially of, of you know, if you're in like marriage therapy, if the idea is, boy, are we going to be better when you fix her, we're in deep kinship. Which is not good. Um, but if you have two people coming in to marriage therapy saying, this is about me, finding out about me and fixing me, then it's golden. I've never seen marriage counseling not work when you have two people saying, I want to fix me. God, you handle them. This has nothing to do with them. This has something to do with me. I want to fix me. I want God to have his way with me. Which is why... In, in, in here, uh, our theme verse ought to be Matthew 6.33. If you have two people that both say to each other, we're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that we're worried about, all of these things that showed up, they're his. Uh, you know, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you, God says, I will take care of these things. Your job is to seek first my kingdom and to seek first my righteousness. So that's kind of where we are in here for these next few weeks. That's our job. Our job is to look at us and what God can say to us and how he can change us and move us, um, not your spouse. All right. So tell me about mother-in-laws. Tell me about golf buddies. Tell me about all those relationships that can create friction within marriages. Those yes, even though these were pretty, you know, we did pretty well on these. Um, I think sometimes we're surprised at the level of conflict that family and friends can bring to a relationship. And um, leisure activities, how much friction there can be over that. So we wrote down a few things. Go, Megan. There you go. This is one of the more important things for us to keep in mind. I know you wish it weren't so, <laughs> but it is. When you marry your spouse, you marry their family. Well, I didn't marry your mother. Yes, you did. You did. I know you don't want it, but you did. There is no getting around that you also married their family. And I was... Uh, listening to some people talk about a certain football team and, and they were talking about this certain football team that very huge, ginormous, soul-melting problems that they were having. And, um, this commentator said, and yet, you've got a group of players and you simply have to make it work. Because there's no getting rid of the play. You've got to make it work. And when you're in a family and you get married, you got to make it work. 
You don't have an option not to make it work. So the first aspect of this, I think, is just acceptance and not, not be so angry at what they do or what they say or how they treat you and how unfair and what dirts and all of that was true of Beth's parents. So, <laughs> actually, you know, we've been royally blessed uh, in our in-laws, as many people are, by the way. You know, it's almost cliche that the in-laws are a problem. Um, but like in our marriage, a lot of people didn't have fantastic in-laws. Um, but if you do have, if you do struggle um, with in-laws or brothers or whatever, keep in mind that you do not have an option to cut your spouse off unless there's abuse or there's, you know, I'm not saying if someone's just a drunken meth head or something, okay, uh, yeah. But if they, if they, you just don't click, if you don't get along, if they rub you the wrong way, if they irritate you to high heaven, okay, you gotta make it work because you can't, you can't force your spouse um, to separate themselves from their family. What is the appropriate boundary line, though, in terms of somebody who seems overly attached to extended family, and now you're in a position as a spouse where that connection that should be tighter with you as a spouse is really misplaced to still imprint it on mom and dad, mom and dad's approval, or mom and dad's speaking into a decision. So what are healthy boundaries to put around a marriage that still incorporates and accepts extended family, but where do those lines lie? It's, it's critical for us to make sure that we choose our spouse over our family of origin. And that our family of origin sees us choose our spouse. In, 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 early in a marriage, it's really important to say, this is family now. And one of the reasons why, one of the reasons that because it, it, it normally tends to be the wives and the husband's moms that tend to be in conflict. It could be others, but it tends to be that. Because the way moms feel about boys is just different. The way dads feel about daughters is just different. I took both of my daughters out on their 16th birthday, you know, and I, I, we had melted down my parents' wedding rings you know, and made these true love weights rings for our daughters. And so I took them out on this date, opened doors, showed them how men ought to treat women, and blah, blah, talk with them about relationships and God. Josh turned 16. Yeah, I see it. I mean, they didn't, we did nothing for Josh at all. I wasn't worried about Josh. But man, am I protective of those girls. So a guy's feelings toward daughters is a little similar to ladies' feelings about their sons. They can get protective, in some ways, sometimes overly protective of their sons. And so you have this other woman, this young vixen, who's coming to just steal the heart of your child away from you. And to that boy, the mom has been the feminine voice in his life for his whole life. And now all of a sudden, there's another one. So he's going... <laughs> what, do I, what do I do? Because no matter what decision I make here, one enormously important female in my life is going to be very upset at me. And so they're placed in, in kind of a predicament. And that can be either way. Which I think, let me make sure. Yeah. Do you know what a foo is? Yeah, family of origin. Um, you never want to place your spouse in a position of having to choose between you and their family of origin. That is enormously unfair. Because what you're saying is, you need to make them mad. Don't make me mad. Now again, I say this all in the same breath of saying that we need to choose our spouses and we need to choose our spouses in front of our families of origin so they know the tide has shifted. Things are different. This is my family now. You're now my family of origin. You're now my extended family. When I think family, I think of this one young lady 
now. Because this is my family. And it's important for them to see that. However, for the spouse, and it could be her and the mother-in-law, or it could be him and the dad, or it could be him and her mother, or, you know, whatever. But you just can't draw a line in the sand forcing them to choose. You just can't do that because they're your family too. You have to in some way make it work. Because here's the deal. Many of us have jobs where there are people in our offices that we work with every day, in some ways could work very closely with every day, and we despise the air they breathe. We hate, we dislike them so intensely. And yet, what do we do? We go to work, and we work with them. You have to make it work. Many of us have bosses that if we could just singularly inject the Ebola virus <laughs> into someone, it would be our boss. Because they're just a wretched human being. And yet we work with them. We have to work with them. We have no choice but to work with them. And the deal is, with families of origin, most of us don't live next door to them. So most of the time, we just have to gut it up and put up with this person <laughs> kind of on occasion. Worst I mean, all of our kids are local, and we maybe see them once a week, once every two. I mean, and they're in the same town, but we just don't see them all the time. So you don't have to do it every day, all day. You just have to do it on occasion. And yet, this needs to go into the same pile, the same way that you see somebody in your office, that you simply have to make it work. And when your spouse, knowing full well how you feel, and they see you go over there and grin and make small talk and let comments roll off of you instead of firing back, they will be so appreciative of that. Because they know you're working very hard to make this work. And so the, it tends to be family of origin parents of, of your spouse. Um, could be yours. But those tend to be the, the relationships that are the most contentious. But you also have friends. Um, friends in a relationship. I don't know. We do have some of those coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Friends are, are important to have, and yet they can never be the most important relationship. And I know we say to ourselves, of course not. But the reality is sometimes friends assume that role. Um, I think the next one is if a friend uh, is your go-to for emotional support, your marriage is not where it should be. If that friend is of the opposite sex, run like the wind. Now, a lot of times someone is going to turn to a friend because they're married to an emotional corpse. And so they're saying, well, I can either do like the ancient Egyptians and just crawl into the esophagus with them and die. <laughs> or I can find my emotional support with someone else. The reason I'm reaching out to this other person is because I have zero, in fact, I have negative, negative numbers, the support, the emotional support that I get from my spouse. Therefore, he is forcing me to go here. That sounds fairly reasonable, right? Sort of like, well, if she'd have sex with me more, I wouldn't need to look at porn. If she had sex with me more, I wouldn't be interested in my secretary. This whole idea of the way they're acting gives me license to do what I'm doing is just a very slippery slope that we want to avoid. Friends are critical, but when you find that friendships are becoming too important, then it's time that we back up. We also see, and this, this made a wave some of the more conservative Christian communities, and you 
may be familiar with some of the books that came out on this, and these are things that we have to consider within the context of marriage. There is a wave, if you will, of patriarchal families. I have a friend who, when they married, this person's mother would continue to say, but you know, daddy is the head of our family, so let's go talk to him about what y'all are wanting to do. Really? And so, to be clear, what the word says is that a man is to leave his mother and father and cleave to this woman. You can honor your parents, you can honor the wisdom they have brought, but your dad is not the head of your family. His dad is not the head of your family. I mean, even the godfather is not the head of the family when it comes to you and your spouse. The other couple of situations that I've encountered before in marriages kind of in this context of a friend who becomes that person of contact, that real emotional connection. I've seen people do it with mentors. They value their mentor's word over the wishes and the intentionality of their spouse. Or they're in a discipling situation where you kind of have a small group sort of gang up on a spouse. Mike and I, for a time, were part of a church um, back in the early stages of our marriage where, because I was um, a little more verbose and opinionated, some People of the... were more verbose then. Than now. I was in deep kimchi, Jimmy. Um, the, there was a few of leadership. We were all about the same age, which is part of what makes it funny. There were a few in leadership who came to Mike to discuss with him the challenges of his wife. With Mike saying, is there a particular sin issue? Okay, I get you don't like her, but is there a sin issue you're concerned about? And later as we looked at that, a little more wisdom under our belts, a little more, a little more time that had gone by, we realized how dangerous that could have been if we had allowed these spiritual leaders to come and insert that kind of space between us, that kind of wedge between us, based on the preferences of the church leadership. So when we talk about the spouse knowing that you aren't putting another relationship over them, it is about family of origin, but it is also about who are you allowing to speak into your world as a mentor, as you know, someone that you admire spiritually, as a teacher. I mean, I've worked with a couple right now that the husband has decided that this particular pastor has all the spiritual answers, and everything his wife says, he comes back with this theologian, and I see this wedge developing between the two of them because he has put the opinions of this particular theologian over the heart of his wife. So it's just one more area that I think we and have I mean, to I think if we, if we have in our head that our most important relationship is between us and God, numero uno. Number two is our relationship with our spouse. That's the second, other than our relationship with Christ, the single most relationship the single most important relationship we'll ever have on this planet is with our spouse. And then comes our children. And then comes any and everybody else. Our ministries, our jobs, our whomever. But if we always think to ourselves, if is this mentor or is this friend, in reality, are we trumping children and spouse? in order to spend time with or lean emotionally on these other people. Because it's always got to be God, spouse, kids, and then everybody else. Mm -hmm. I had a, um, a client a few years ago that uh, was addicted. He was an alcoholic. And so he really did an amazing job at kind of coming out of that and, and really getting into, into AA. Uh, and so his wife at first was, you know, she lost her husband to the alcoholism. And he was just gone, and he'd go drinking, and he'd come home, and he's drunk, and he'd be surly. And so uh, she lost him to alcoholism. Then he got sober, and she lost him to AA. Because AA just became another addiction for him, basically. And so he was pouring out his heart and his life and his soul to all these people and to his sponsor. And she was still alone on the couch back at the house. So whatever it is, God, spouse, kids, and then everything else falls under that. And that's a pretty not easy little word picture for us to keep in mind uh, of that pyramid. And if we have any relationship that is in any way being stuck in between God and us, us and our spouse, us and our kids, 
doing something wrong. What do we got? Anything else? Yeah, yeah, more. Oh, good. Okay. You're talking about friends. Is to praise our spouse in front of our friends. Um, we have a lot of trouble sometimes with sarcasm. Sarcasm can be a very endearing thing, and then sarcasm can be a very non-endearing thing. Um, it depends on where the relationship is. If you have a really, really great, solid relationship, then sarcasm can be endearing. If, if the relationship isn't so good, it can be very cutting, it can be very biting. Remember, uh, when I was interim pastor over at uh, Austin Baptist for about a year, uh, I walked out and there was this friend of mine, and I said to him, I said, hey, would you mind moving, this on a Sunday morning, would you mind moving away from the front door because we've had sort of some complaints from visitors that you're scaring people away? So if, if you could move, I'd really appreciate that. And he said, oh, I heard it was your sermons that were scaring people away. And so we just kind of ha, 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 laugh, 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 because he was a really good buddy. Well, right on the other side of him was this guy who didn't like me. That in and of itself stuns me. <laughs> and yet this guy did not like me. And so when I said to my buddy, hey, we've, you're scaring visitors away. If you could move away from the front door. Well, this guy was on the other side. I didn't even see him there. He makes a beeline to the chairman of the deacons. Jimmy said we were scaring visitors away. And I think something should be done about that. I need an apology. Because my buddy, we had a great relationship and we upped it up. This guy as mentally deficient as he is <laughs> for not liking me, doesn't like me. And so because we had a strained relationship, he didn't take it as being funny at all. Sometimes in social settings, we can say, <laughs> you know, the old ball and chain, you know, or we can just say, well, you know, you know, she's been putting on a few, so we won't, we won't have any dessert. We'll try to be funny, but we'll be degrading to our spouse. Um, this happens a lot more than we think it does. And we want to make sure that in front of our friends, we actually praise our spouses. That we brag on them. Uh, so not only are we just saying, you did such a great job, or way to go, or I'm so proud of you, not just when we're around the kitchen table, but when we're out with friends at a restaurant or we're at some other gathering, we'll brag on our spouse there. Uh, that's another one of those ways of just saying, you know, she's with me, he's with me. Uh, and it's that, that line that she is of, of supreme importance. I think, too, this is one of the places that if you have not read the five love languages, it would be really important for you to do that. My, my husband, his top love language is words of encouragement. My family's um, primary language is sarcasm. My family food, my family origin. And so the way that I show you I love you in my family is I mock you endlessly. That's why you and I get along so beautifully. And for Mike, he really, God designed him to need praise and to need encouragement. And in our early relationship for quite a while, I mean, I sort of, you know, quietly thought it was a sign of weakness. Uh, instead of something God ordained is, some, is how someone was designed. And so that sarcasm, and even if you're not engaging in sarcasm, if there's a lack of praise, if you're just silent and crickets towards your spouse, in front of your friends, in front of those that you count important to have in your world, that can speak volumes particularly to someone who in their top one, two, or three love languages is words of encouragement. It can really be something that can be very damaging, even when you haven't intended it to be so. Absolutely. Do you have anything else? Okay. Yeah, we already talked about this some. Your spouse has to see you choose them uh, over family origin. Yeah. When it comes to leisure activities, we've said this before, right? Um, that you don't have to love what you're doing. You just have to love the one you're doing it with. Um, Here's the thing about leisure activities, is they're actually a lot more important to our relationship than we think they are. 
And just because you don't enjoy doing something doesn't mean that you should not engage in that activity, especially if your spouse really loves to do it. If your spouse loves doing it, then that's enough for you to want to do it. Strike that. You don't have to want to do it. That's reason enough to do it uh, and to not snivel about it. Because we can also do it and ruin it for our spouse all at the same time. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about engaging in this activity that they really enjoy. We're going up to a wedding um, next month. My, my nephew is getting married in central Virginia, and we're staying at this place. Guess who is going fly fishing? Beth. That's <laughs> going to be so great. <laughs> I'm going to periscope the whole thing. Um, but she's going fly fishing with me. She doesn't want to go fly fishing. We're literally in the nirvana of antiques in central Virginia. And yet she's going to take one in. Do it? And it's in the fall with the leaves and the pumpkins. And she's going to be fly fishing. Now granted, she doesn't know this, but I've got an entire women's fly fishing outfit from Orvis coming. <laughs> so she is going to look really good while she's doing it. But it's a classic example of she doesn't want, but she just saw that I was excited about it, that she agreed to go. Which now forces me to go antiquing, but still. <laughs> it's the idea that we don't have to, you know, for you to just go, you know, I hate doing that. Big deal. Big honking deal that you don't like doing that. Run that up a flagpole. Who cares that you don't like doing that? <laughs> the idea is we've got to spend time, quality time with our spouses. And I'm not sure if I put this. Um, what's that? Yeah. All fun activities can't be shared with friends, leaving only the laborious activities for our spouses. Think about this. <laughs> I love to go play golf, so I'm just going to go play golf with my buddies, and then we're going to go the old 19th hole, and we're just going to have this fun, and she's going to be doing what women do, you know, what do women do? They do things. They do so many things female, and so she's out doing all those female things with her buddies. I'm trying to think of the, what's the game? It starts with a B. Bunko. She's playing Bunko, the Pinot Noir edition, which is totally separate from the Chardonnay edition of Bunko. Yeah. And so she's up doing that. And so we go out with our buddies to do all the fun stuff. And then we come back to pick up the kids and bathe the kids and do homework with the kids and clean the house and do the gutters. And that we all do together with our spouse, but none of the fun stuff. So it's actually kind of critical, and here's the deal. Most ladies don't even have time for bunko because they do a majority with the kids. They do a majority of the housework, plus many, if not most, are working full-time, while the Y chromosome is out having a good time. And so, you have never looks better than like right now. I know. I'm strangely attracted to all you women right now. <laughs> I know. Right now. Uh, we were getting, we were supposed to be taking pictures of us in here. And what was I told to do? Yeah. Yeah. Shannon said, tell him to sit up and suck it in. Raising your spouse in front of others. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> that was, she was encouraging me. <laughs> but anyway, so actually leisure, leisure activities are much more important than we think they are because it's a time, leisure activities are bonding times. Are you kidding me that I'm not going to be telling grandkids about her attempting to fly fish? Are you kidding me? This will be legendary. But we go do these things 
so that we share those experiences. We were there and we were there together and we talked on the way and we talked on the way back. Not we save all of our recreation for our buddies. So I'm, I was surprised as a therapist how often major issues arose in the area of leisure activities. Really? I mean, it's always the four horsemen. You know, children, sex, in-laws, and money. Uh, but leisure activities come up a lot because many people, tends to be wives, tend to feel as though you're choosing everybody over me. You stay at work late, and then when you get home, you know, you got this going on, and then on the weekends you're going to play golf for nine hours. It's like you're choosing everything and everybody over me. And that can be a very legitimate feeling on the, on the part of a lot of ladies. So leisure activities actually have a much greater place than we think they do. And it's kind of a secret weapon if you'll think of it this way. When baby ducklings hatch out an egg, the first thing they see they imprint on. They don't have the recognition of, oh, that's actually a mother duck. I'm imprinting on this mother duck. They will imprint on whatever creature is in front of them. And they create a bond with what they first see. Well, a secret weapon within leisure activities is if you're going and you're having fun and you're laughing with someone and you're enjoying something different and you're getting out of your typical element of cleaning the garage, it creates this automatic imprinting of you're associating this person you're with with laughter, with fun, with something that's new, with something that's expanding. The challenge is we have created, and it's not a wrong thing, but we have guys' night out and man cave, we've got girls' night out and girls' weekend, and we do all this imprinting and bonding on other people. And it's no wonder that sometimes we feel closer and more attached and more connected to other people because we've created these situations that are designed for that, and yet we haven't input our spouse in a priority there. I'm married to a guy who loves to salsa dance, do yoga, do Pilates, um, and again, he has eight kids, so you can't really question all of his leanings, but he loves doing all that stuff. I, I don't at all. But when I do go salsa dancing with him, he's so thrilled that I have counted him important enough that I'll go do that. And he doesn't enjoy long distance running. And I do, and he hates it. But what we found that we love doing together is we love to go to great movies, we love to go to great shows, we love to go tour, we love to go see new things, we love to do those kinds of things. So it's not even that we picked golf as our thing or we picked tennis as our thing, it's just that we've made sure to keep each other in the loop on experiences that are fun, that aren't just about child rearing, that aren't just about budgeting, yeah. those kinds of things. And can you really can work. also, you can, with some thought, mesh some things together. Um, as most of y'all know, I'm an adventure sportsman. Uh, so I love to scuba dive. And so the rule is, and we'll go someplace cheap like Cozumel, you know, it's really cheap to get down there, everything's kind of cheap. Um, and so the rule is, we only go to some place that has a spa. So Beth is very meticulous in keeping up with how much money I spend on scuba diving. And she gets the equivalent in the spa. Whether she has to have three back-to-back -back massages, it doesn't matter. But she has to spend that amount of money while we're there. Uh, or I, in some way, won the competition. Um, so you can look at something like, we love doing that. We love going to these places and staying, you know, on the beach and all this stuff. But not because we're doing the same thing. We're actually doing two quite different things. But we're there for the, for the same experience. That's something that we have found works out fantastically. We had a great question that came in um, asking about, well, if I'm an extrovert and my spouse is an introvert, how do we make that work? Because when it comes to leisure activities, that's a very valid question. Mike is very much an extrovert. I am an introvert masquerading as an extrovert. And so to Mike, there's nothing better than to land somewhere he's never been and meet as many people as humanly possible in the next 12 hours. And all I want to do is read a book. That's really all I want. So we went away for our 25th wedding anniversary, and we were down in Mexico. And we were at this little, tiny little resort. It was, it was great. But I asked him, as an introvert, would you give me three days where 
you just meet me. And he said, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Now, on day four, he was like a dog who really needed to get out of the door <laughs> in the morning. And I looked at him, and I said, you gave me three days. Go, boy. As go. Mentor, you go. And I kid you not, he ran to the cabana right in front of us. Hi, hi, how are y'all doing? Where are you from? And you can't make this stuff up. That couple was originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Mike's hometown. And as it turned out, they met in Mike's mom's first grade class that she was teaching. They had a childhood romance and later got married as we sat down on the beach in Mexico. And I went, Lord, if you keep opening up opportunities for this extrovert like that, where the first people he goes and meets are people who met in his mom's first grade class, how are we ever gonna work this out? But because he had given me those three days, because he had honored that introvert need in me, we were leaving the kids, we were getting away, and he honored that for me. Then for the next four days, when he met 75 of his new best friends, it was okay. Because we reached a compromise, and that's part of what we talked about. You guys have handouts. That's part of what we want to talk to you all about tonight is how you reach those compromises where you can find the thing that is for the two of you. You can still have your worlds. You can still have your friends. You can still – I don't see you scrapbooking anytime soon, and I don't think you should, Jimmy. I don't think you should. Even though I'd be quite good. You would be, it would be fascinating, actually. Yes. Um, so what we'd love for you to do is – do they have, do you have those you sheets? You guys have your sheets? Okay. We want you to, the reason we wanted you all together is so it would be easy to kind of turn around and be in a group. So just find four, or five, six people that are sitting around you, and let's talk about the questions that are on this piece of paper. And try, try to brainstorm, because there could be some, there could, might be a question on there that you struggle with, and someone else in your group, they do it quite well. And so talk those things over, and if you're off here to the side, Y'all rally around. Get with each other. It may, it may cause you to need to get up. But um, circle it up. Meet discuss somebody. these questions. Okay. We're going to take just a couple, three minutes. 